Welcome to episode 226 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Five and a half years ago, when I first committed to hosting a podcast, I needed to figure out what day of the week I should release it. I started to do some research to try and figure out the very best day for a podcast episode to be released. The answer was not what I wanted to hear. It depends. A lot of it depended on who my audience was, but having no audience yet, I couldn't really figure out how to move forward. And then I overheard a conversation about Tuesdays. Tuesdays are the worst day of the week. You'd think Monday was, but really, how much better is Tuesday? And that is when I decided it had to be a Tuesday schedule, so there would be something for you to look forward to on Tuesdays. I was thinking about that conversation as we neared 2021 and everyone was saying good riddance to 2020. The reality is 2021 isn't going to magically be better than 2020. Sure, there's talk of a vaccine, but the small print is that it just stops you from getting deathly ill, not from actually catching and spreading COVID-19. Most people won't even be eligible to get it within the first six months when the focus is going to be on protecting first responders. We will still all need to wear masks, minimize our time with non-household members indoors, and avoid large gatherings even outside. We will generally be doing what we've been doing since March. So what will be different? Our attitude. Rather than saying when something goes wrong, what do you expect? It's 2020. We'll be looking for ways 2021 is better than 2020. And for that reason alone, it will be a better year. Your challenge for this week. 2020 disrupted a lot of plans. You may have had a three to five year plan, but it was just thrown out the window. Well, now that it's 2021, it's time to look ahead three years again. What will be possible for you and your business in three years? What can you do this year to be ready for 2024? It's time to broaden your horizons. Try this. Let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest helps business owners and stakeholders make wise decisions. As a savvy entrepreneur, she started her first company at the young age of 15 and sold it to a major competitor just four years later. She started her programming journey very early and quickly discovered her love for tech and a knack for building tech businesses. Her passion extends to changing the conversation in the tech world for women and gender minorities by helping more people get into and stay in tech. The more gender minorities are represented in tech over a longer period of time, the more the conversation will shift for future generations. She developed the curriculum for the Rika Technologies and gotanappidea.com startup program to help new app and tech entrepreneurs spend as little time and money as possible evaluating their idea, help them get to a go-no-go decision quickly and efficiently. Please join me in welcoming Cynthia Delaria. 
Thank you. So happy to be here, Robbie. Hey, Cynthia. <laughs> so happy you're joining us from your place in Denver, Colorado. And as you yes. know, this is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Mm, I love this question because I believe that leadership is when you can step into your purpose and go forward boldly from that space. And so the brilliant thing is everyone has the potential for leadership. You know, there's a lot of people that I talk to are like, oh, I can't lead. I mean, I don't like being in front of people or I don't like talking in crowds. And none of that really has to do with leadership. That might have to do with some power and some authority. But leadership is when you have a vision and you have a purpose and you have a calling and you step into it and move forward boldly. Okay, so, so it's very, very internal in a way. Like, oh yeah. Like, and most people are, I guess, are thinking of it as needing to be like upfront, out there. Yeah. But you can't lead others until you've sort of centered yourself in your own purpose. Is that what I'm? That's hearing? right. That's right. If you know, it's sort of the the classic analogy of, um, you know, people in government who are really effective are leading the way, but they have to know which way to go. And that definitely comes from inside versus, you know, there, there's this, uh, like, it's almost like a joke of like, where are my people going? I have to go lead them, right? And somebody else is leading them if they're already going somewhere. Mm -hmm. So it really does start inside. And it starts with you and your purpose and your mission and your vision and executing on that. And then finding the people who need the support to be able to execute on that with you. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's very internal. It's internal. And it's also about sort of aligning the values then and attract people yes. to those values. But how do you attract people to your values if you're not clear on what they are? So it's sort That's of a right. conundrum. That's so interesting. Yeah. I've been, I've been doing this show for years and I, I, I love it when people come at it a slightly different angle. Um, you know, I mu this must be a little bit, Cynthia, from your personal experience then. So I'm curious, when did you start to realize you had some of these leadership tendencies or qualities? Yeah. I mean, I, I was, I was young. Um, I started my first company at 15. Uh, and at some point before that, um, I, I always felt like I had, I had vision. I had a way of seeing the world that didn't always fit inside of well-defined, well-understood, um, traditional constructs. And I didn't, you know, as a, as a kid, you don't really understand that, you know, people say things and you're like, wow, you, you say that like it's the truth, but then this other thing happens and it's not that they're contradictory. It's just, they both exist in the same world. So how can one be truth and one not be truth, you know? And, and so when I started my first company, I wasn't, it wasn't like, Oh, I'm 15. Let me go file on articles of organization and like start a company. It was more like I started doing independent contracting, building websites for small business owners in my church. And what I quickly realized was if I was going to have other people help me do the work, if I was going to build up enough work where I needed to hire people, I was going to have to make it worth their while. Right. And so sometimes leadership, and it's not just about money, but leadership is about making it worth someone's while to follow your path and follow your vision. And whether that's your, you're attracting them from a passion standpoint or 
paying them a lot of money, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. I imagine that you have told the specific story about how you started that business on a lot of shows. (laughs) So I want to actually dig in a little bit here because I was an entrepreneurial kid. I never had articles of anything. (laughs) And I didn't do good bookkeeping. And my mother would always get on me about like, do you have any idea how much money you're making? And I said enough to do the things I want to do with my money, which for a kid was like the goal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I sold every, like I was the kid who sold lots of different things. Um, my probably most interesting one was bagel sandwiches. So really I had a business I love that. in high school, taking orders, making the food and then coming in the next day with the food. Oh my um, gosh. I love that. Kate catered a guidance counselor breakfast once unbeknownst to the rest of the guidance counselors, the one who really liked me and ordered the food. So I love um, that. <laughs> but look, I mean, I want to know who you were before that because, you know, my entrepreneurial tendencies started to show up, you know, younger than 15. Yeah. And I imagine for you to, for you to have be at that place for the people in your life to support you mm. in doing this more formal thing. What were you like at like eight years old? Yeah. So I actually started coding when I was eight years old. It's funny you said eight years old. Um, I started coding when I was eight. Um, I, I was, I was a dancer and a cheerleader from the time I was like four. Um, I'm, I've always been my entire life. I've been very ambitious and very driven. In fact, when I was a kid, um, I always got Barbies for, you know, birthdays and Christmases and stuff like that for my grandparents. But I, I didn't play with Barbies the way that most people did. (laughs) So I used to pick up real estate guides. You know, they have the like free real estate guides with like rent listings and house listings and stuff like that at the grocery store. And so I'd always grab one of those whenever we'd leave the grocery store. And then one of my Barbies was like the real estate agent and one of the Barbies was buying. And so based on the description in these real estate guides, I would take I I love to read. So I've always had thousands of books all over my house, like since I can remember. And so I would take these books and like set them up and create the house. And then they'd like walk through and they talk to each other and they would like negotiate the rate that she was going to charge. And you know, I'm like five or six years old doing this. Right. And for me, it was always much more interesting as I got a little bit older I would look through these guides and I'd be like, okay, let's pretend that I have $500,000. What would I buy? And based on the rents and then based on what I can, you know, what would have to put as a down payment to get the mortgage and like using like, you know, figuring out all that kind of stuff. Cause my mom was also uh, in school while I was doing all this. And so sometimes she'd come on with like economics books or finance books or whatever. And so, and I just love to read. And so I pick them up and start reading all this stuff and just start figuring out the math about it. Right. So I've always been really ambitious. I've always been really driven. I hated getting anything other than A's. It drove me crazy. Like I'm the kid who would have a, you know, B plus and be doing like mad, crazy searching for, uh, extra credit and doing extra work and whatever. Cause I don't like B's. It's like, I know I'm better than a B, you know? So I think by the time I started this, it was more, I'd actually had gotten fired from a job. So I had been working as a barista at a coffee place and I went, you know, I'd been there for a couple of weeks and my boss was really not a very, she wasn't very good at her job. And I had no problem telling her that in front of 
uh, customers usually. Um, and so I came in one day and, and I was like, you know what? I don't think I'm very good at this and I really don't like it. And she's like, oh, thank God. Cause I thought I was going to have to fire you. And so I was like, ah, oh, well this works out for everybody. Right. But I'm like, well, what am I going to do for money? I'm like, I've always been pretty ambitious and I've got this tech stuff that I love to do. And maybe I'll just see if some people will pay me. Right. And so I've always been, uh, I've never been afraid to try something new. Um, and I've just always been really ambitious and really driven. And so early on when it started to work, you know, if it hadn't worked, I probably would have abandoned it and gone and gotten a job somewhere else or whatever, but it worked, you know, because I'm good at what I do. Right. <laughs> so much to unpack there, Cynthia. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So first of all, eight years old. So, um, should I lay down on the couch? Are we about to go to therapy? <laughs> I, yeah. Just, just like, I'm trying to like get some context in here. Um, yeah. So, so I'm 46. And so okay. when I was eight, we got a Commodore 64 for the first time. And Lucky. I started diving into like this stuff and I learned like logo. And then I actually in high school took a logo class and I learned and I got to like Pascal and stopped. And I was like, actually, I don't actually like this stuff. <laughs> um, no. yeah. But I love the business yeah. side of it. So I went more yeah. into that. But my parents saw that potential and I did take some uh, adult ed classes when I was a pipsqueak. And I would finish my homework and then run around helping tutor the other yep. people in the class. And I have very little memory of this. I have memories of my parents telling the story of this. So, you know, right. I was somewhere around like, let's say 12, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And my dad <laughs> always thought I was going to go and be you essentially. <laughs> and I ended up not doing that. But um, there was something about what you were exposed to at a, at a young age that you, to even at five or six, have that level of imagination to play that love, that kind of a, of a game around real estate. They're already at that age, you were exposed to certain things. Who were the major, in, I'm like, I have 19 questions in my head. I'll start with this one. Who were the major influences in your life that you could look to who were like either great leaders or who loved learning? You're so self-motivated. Yeah. I can totally see why your definition of leadership is so internal, like internally started because that's who you are. You're driven. But okay, who were the influences in your life? I, I think, I think there's actually two things. One is my mom was a business owner when I was young. So she, she is a seamstress of phenomenal ability and phenomenal creativity. And when I was little, what I remember, you know, she, I would go to her shop after school um, and she, you know, she'd have these gorgeous fabrics laying everywhere and these beautiful dresses on these mannequins. One of which was a wedding dress for a woman who was marrying a Senator at the white house. And I was like, Oh my, and it was just, I mean, it was hand beaded. I mean, she spent thousands of hours on this dress and it was so beautiful. And so the other side of her business was that she had business partners who were incredibly wealthy people. We were not wealthy though. So I grew up, you know, for a while when I was really young, I think we were probably did okay that my parents got divorced when I was five. And then my mom was single for a long time and running a business and there were some ups and downs. And so what I really remember is her loving her work and giving everything that she had to it and her exceptionally wealthy business partners who had this 
I mean, enormous, gorgeous home in the most exclusive neighborhood in the town that we lived in. And they flew on, on helicopters from North Carolina up to New York to do shopping, or they take the private jet out to LA to do fabric shopping. And I just remember thinking, I wonder what it takes to make that kind of money. And can you be happy and fulfilled? Like I know my mom is in her work and have that because I didn't really see the other reflected on the other side of the equation. So my mom never really had a lot of money, but she was, she really loved what she did for most of her career. And then on the other side, you know, her, her business partners, I don't know that they really loved what they did, but they were very wealthy and they seemed to have all the best in life, you know? And so it was like this, it's this lifelong quest for me can wealth and happiness and joy in what you do, can they coexist together? And, and when you have both, what does that look like? You wow. know? Yeah, no, that's great. That's like a lifelong pursuit to find an answer like that. And it's interesting to think about being influenced at a very young age to even begin to ask those questions. Yeah. Be exposed to, when you said get on a helicopter and a private jet, you're like, you're helping define like what kind of wealth we're talking about. You know, That's it's not, right. just, not just the nice home, but yeah. all the uh, the extras that come with that. And yeah, I, I think um, what's interesting is I, we've been talking about this a lot in the context of being an entrepreneur and how we're all sold the uh, freedom, the freedom yeah. line, like being an yeah. entrepreneur, so you have freedom. <laughs> Yeah, and, freedom. Uh, yeah, freedom. <laughs> freedom to work every day. That's right. Um, <laughs> freedom to be chained to your desk in a whole different way. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so to really love what you do and get paid well and have the the freedom to take the time. Yeah. Those are those are great questions. Um, you know, you had like a, a skill set, and it turns out it wasn't making coffee, which is good to learn quickly. Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> and. Um, it's funny how getting fired or, or laid off from a job can often be the, the you know, impetus to, to yes. do something entrepreneurial for so many people. But the fact that it went from, yeah, I, I mean, I was dabbling in all kinds of little things. I just never formalized any of them. Like what, like, what was that turning point? Was it because you knew you wanted to hire other people and you needed to like make it formal for that reason? Like actually you even know, that, I could see you just paying people and being like, here's yeah, money. Yeah. So I, honestly, when I actually had to formalize it was when I had an offer to buy it on the table. It wasn't even this, this was, like I said, this wasn't something where I set out like, so you oh, I'm going to oh, build so, a business and I have right, an exit strategy. Yeah. Okay. I, so I literally, you were a normal kid in the sense that yeah. you just kind of were building a business, there's cash doing my cash thing, in, cash out, doing your yep, thing, paying contractors. Then, I mean, we got some really big deals. And so, you know, I, I but it, it never even occurred to me to have an attorney review any of those deals. I was like, this is the work we're going to do. And this is the money we're going to get paid. And my reputation was pretty good. And most of my business was word of mouth yes. and referral. I mean, it's and still so, true for all of us. A lot of us, that's what we're doing. You know, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. And, uh, yeah. So I, I won a fairly lucrative contract. Um, in uh, Southern California that was that was heavily bid on by a bunch of my really big formalized competitors in the, in the market and um, the guy who was in charge of you know awarding the business and sort of running this whole project that we were doing he came to me and he said okay this is a five-year contract I'm gonna give you six months because you're really young I mean remember I'm I'm I was I had I was barely 18. I think it was literally like 2 weeks after my 18th birthday that that we closed this deal. And 
he was like, you're very young. And he said, you come very highly recommended, which I don't take lightly, but I'm just, you're so young. He's like, I'm just struggling with that. And I was like, Hey, that's fine. Like we'll check in at six months. If you think that you're not getting what you need before then you let me know and I'll let you out of it. Like I'm not attached. I just think this is cool. I like what you're doing. And I think I could do a really good job. It was three months in, he came to me and he said, I'm giving you the whole five years. He's like, I can't even believe the ability that you have to deliver on what you promise. And the people that you put on our project are so, they're good and they're conscientious. And I just, he's like, my mind is blown. And he's like, and how you do this on the amount of money? Because I mean... I had no overhead. I, you know, I barely had a tax accountant, you know, because I had to at some point, cause you, there's only so much you can do in cash, you know? So yeah, I just, uh, and it was about six months after that, that, uh, I got approached by one of my competitors who said, what would it take for us to, you know, buy you out and get that contract? Cause they wanted the relationship. It wasn't about the money for them because it was fairly prestigious. And then one of my other competitors heard that this was happening. And so then they kind of started this little bidding war between each other. And I was like, okay, well, you guys just let me know what's the final offer. And then I'll, and, and, but I, ha, you know, I was like, oh. <laughs> I remember going to, going to my tax account and I was like, so if somebody was going to write me a seven figure check, what would I do? And she was like, okay, well, we, first of all, we have to like incorporate you for real. And, you know, you have to get some of this stuff set up and, you know, we need to get you an attorney so that you can actually get a deal either written or reviewed, depending on who initiates the initial paperwork and all. And I was like, oh, this is why I never did this part. <laughs> so it's kind of like by the age of 19, when I saw my first company, I had literally gotten an MBA the hard way, you know, and then the following eight months realizing that, okay, now I had amassed this money and I didn't know how money worked. I really had no clue. And so it was, it was about eight months after the sale of my company, I was living in my car with $0 to my name. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that's the fastest way to get rid of seven figures you can possibly imagine. <laughs> Yeah, when I was uh, doing my my sort of reconnaissance on you before this, I saw your video where you talked about that, and um, yeah, there was like a gasp. I think when I heard that, I was like, "Whoa!" You know, yeah, <laughs> uh, that's yeah. You know, if you're not taught how to handle money, money doesn't handle itself; it just walks where, away. Yeah, like yeah. You, I mean, especially because as a kid, like I said, we didn't have a lot when I was a kid, and the way that I remember windfalls and and what I mean by windfalls I'm putting quotes around that is whenever there would be like a bonus or something from somebody's job or a little bit of extra income, it felt like the response was, Oh, well, we need to get a new couch and let's go out to dinner. And so it was like, we're going to spend it. Right. And so in my brain, somehow these two things got connected together that when you have extra money, you go spend it before you lose it or some Buddy else comes along who needs it more than you do, you know? And so that's pretty much what happened. The first time I got real money, I was like, oh, I better go spend it so I don't lose it. <laughs> but you rebounded because you are entrepreneurial and because you yes, have great skill sets and a good mindset as well. And I, you know, I love that the, the life trajectory ended up being about helping women and uh, other minorities sort of get represented yes. in the tech world, and I, women should not even be counted as a minority in a lot of ways, but let's just say that for 
sake. Um, so um, <laughs> only based on current representation, yes, not based on who we not, actually are in the world. <laughs> not, not, on, not on demographics, but on That's like, right. the realities of percentages. So, um, but did you did you go and get a job? Like, a, did you? Yeah, did I've I, had jobs. You, you sure. had a JLB? Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. So after I sold my first company, uh, my mom was director of quality engineering at Earthlink. If you remember Earthlink, um, they were sort of the West Coast, like small ISP that grew into a big thing. And then Mindspring was the big East Coast one. And they merged at some point and kind of became national. Um, and so there was a, this is going to crack you up. There was an internship for 12 bucks an hour in the development group. And I was like, well, I am a self-taught developer, you know, everything that I've learned, I've taught myself or I've learned, you know, from, from the internet, the way that we could use it then it's not like it is today. That's for sure. Um, so I think it'd be cool to go work for some real developers and learn more about tech. Right. So I did that for a few years and I got, I started at the, the UI side, you know, the UI portion in the stack and kind of moved my way all the way down into database and understanding how do APIs work and what are, what are relational tables versus, you know, non-relational and, and flat database structures and like all this different stuff. So that when I moved to Colorado, um, I, instead of getting a job, I started getting contracts again. I started getting contracting work and eventually got into this niche of building encryption and download technology because this was the time when internet speeds were getting faster and traditionally box software companies were like, hey, we could reduce a bunch of our expenses if we did, even if we just did updates as online distribution, like not even primary purchases, but online updates rather than having to like do disks and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, so we wrote a bunch of really cool technology that helped to make sure an interrupted download could be picked up again. And so here I was now I actually have some really good contracts, but I also have a product. Like I have some intellectual value that has real value in the marketplace. And that was how my second company got sold, uh, was part of a group of uh, a company that had a group of companies that were trying to solve this problem for the modern web, you know, in the mid two thousands and, uh, they liked what we were doing. And so I got kind of bought up along with that little thing and, just, yeah. you know, yeah. So, and I, I've had, I've had probably two or three other jobs uh, in the meantime as well. So I have worked for other people, sometimes as a developer, a lot of times in leadership, um, because when, you know, entrepreneurial and leadership kind of go together, um, but I also am really good, uh, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat intuitive in terms of I can feel the energy in the room and I can, I can kind of get when somebody's getting heated up and, and like how to sort of diffuse that and bring some calmness to the situation. And so that generally leads itself into leadership at some point or another. So I've led small teams of maybe 10 or 12 developers and I've led really big teams of, you know, three or four teams of 10 or 12. So, um, What's yeah. so interesting is you're describing, um, the, the like ability to translate, uh, in, in a, in a, in a tech world. Like I have a friend that got, <laughs> I helped her get, get her first job in a tech space and I, Hey, help because, she was driving from New York to Massachusetts and I was reading, um, uh, what was the, what was the website, the search engine that had daddy in the name? Oh, um, <laughs> this just tells you how old oh. it is. So we were researching, 
through one of those uh, yeah, old, yeah, old yeah, yeah, pre Gmail, yeah. Google. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I was explaining to her how email, like it's broken down to little packets and, you know, and we were, we were like making up all these like scenarios and, and explanations for it. She gets hired at this company and she has no tech background, zero. Wow. She's a musician and <laughs> like she's like done uh, musicians, settings. musicians, math and tech. It all goes together. Yeah. Like it really does. Yeah. But she had the ability to, to speak and, and communicate in a way that a lot of the, the guys they don't were screen focused and didn't talk to each other. So she moved very quickly up and is still working in leadership in lots of different companies over the last you know two decades. But it's so Good funny every her. now and again, I'm like, do you remember when we were driving and I was trying to explain to you how email <laughs> actually gets sent with little packets? Yeah, we had a whole analogy about the quarterback who has to assemble them all and like yeah. grab them all and like yep. yeah, yeah, so, um, that's hilarious. It's it's really how you're filling a need, it sounds like, and that you're trying to attract other people who maybe have some of those uh, skill sets that are not prevalent. When you're hiring, do you find yourself really aiming to hire the people that you say you need to come in? Is that like part of your your lens for hiring? Sometimes, you know, what's interesting is the more I've probably done, I don't even know how countless interviews, probably thousands if we went back and, and, and did the real research. And the thing that I started to notice what, what actually had me start to realize why there aren't more women advancing and more gender minorities as well advancing in tech is because of some of the trends I see in the interviews that I do where women, we generally tend to want to assure you that we can handle the job. And so where a man will apply when he's even 50% qualified, a woman waits until she's 80% qualified before she applies. And then in the interview, that man will spend all of his time telling you why the 50% makes him perfectly qualified for that job. Whereas a woman will spend all of her time explaining how she's going to fill the 20% gap. So what you see in technology is that women oftentimes report on a much higher incidence level than men that they feel bored in their job because they don't push themselves to go after the thing that is a stretch or a challenge. They wait until they've filled most of the gap before going after the next step. And so this got me really interested because I was like, I wonder what happens if a woman who was only 50% qualified for a job, if she talked about the 50% she already has, are those two things now equal? And they are, in fact, because the reality is on the hiring manager side of things, what they want to hear is that you are confident you can get the job done. And then everything else just comes down to, are you a good fit? And, you know, what's your experience? And, and are, you know, do you, do you seem like you have the abilities that we need, right? So when you adjust for these tendencies for more security and that's that's what i usually call it on the female side women get hired just as much as men and so now this is my mission because i'm like okay i'm going to 
work with women who are ready, who are like, I want to advance and I know that there's something there and I know that this is my calling and my purpose. And I'm like, okay, good. I can help you get there. And so that's part of what I do. And I love that work. I love, love, love it because watching when the light bulb goes on and they step in, you know, we started out talking about stepping into your purpose and your mission and sort of your passion, you see it happen. And all of a sudden their career trajectories are like, off the charts. And it's just amazing. It's, it's literally like my favorite thing. <laughs> That's so great. It sounds a lot like how I, I've drawn to work with entrepreneurial women in yeah. their, in the same way. And in, in a similar way, they downplay their skills and oh, yes. focus on what their gaps are and what you just described. I've heard a version of that before yeah. um, about how sort of men approach. This is like the say, hey, you know, you should really run for president of the organization. Well, you're right. I should. You know, you talk to a woman, you're like, you should run for a school committee. Uh, I don't know if I'm qualified. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. What's interesting with female founders, female entrepreneurs is they have all the same, that all the same types of struggles, they just manifest differently. So I have one client who is building a really cool uh, app-based business and she got an interview or a, or a meeting with the CEO of a very, very large, uh, skincare company and, uh, to be a strategic partner. And she was like, Oh my God, like I'm going to be sitting in the room with the CEO and she's so amazing. And I was like, you're a CEO too. And so I noticed this with women. They're like, even though that's my title and even though I'm doing the same thing, which is building a thing and running a company and doing all this stuff, it's like, it's not legitimized unless there's a certain dollar value behind it or a certain social acceptance behind it or whatever. And so I love working with female founders because I love training female CEOs. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) It's got me across. You know, I I want to mention someone I interviewed a while back. She's a friend of mine from the Boston area. Her name is Melissa James and she runs the tech connection. um, Her mission is to get um, women and racial minorities into tech. Yes, And she's built out a really great dashboard where you can kind of have your skills assessed and so that HR companies can get a can get a clear understanding of your skill sets, even if you're not coming from a traditional background, Ooh, I even love if you're that. not being referred from a, a particular company, but I that love you that. can get your like p- past certain levels and get sort of accredited with like, oh, no, they know Java. No, they know this. They know this. And so you're really looking at qualifications first and then talking about fit. So they're not being screened out like initially. So she's been at this for years. Um, She's a a young black woman. And I mean, I met her in her early twenties. She's like, you know, maybe a decade later now, it's kind of amazing. What, what is, you know, the work that's happening in this field to all these different people who are making this effort. I want to actually switch to the topic of networking. Cause I feel like one of the things I valued about her is that we did stay in touch all these years. Yeah. Not because I needed her services. You know, because she was the kind of person who was one very clearly tied to a particular thing. So referrals to her are easy. I think that was something I feel like you're probably a very similar way. I, I mean, you're never going to come out of my head when I'm like, oh, women technology. <laughs> I got to introduce them to Cynthia. But how do you think about your network and how did, how did your network impact you as you were growing? I feel like there must have been a lot of tapping into old contacts and all that. Yeah, it's interesting because 
one of the, there's actually a myth about networking, which is that any one person knows exactly what it looks like. And so my fiance, he is amazing at networking with very high net worth men. (laughs) And so when we first got together and, you know, I, I was in the process of building up my next company and, you know, doing all the things and he's introducing me to all these, all these very high net worth men. And I'm, I'm like, okay, I mean, it's great. Like they're great people and I love to know them and we go to dinner with them and their wives and whatever. But I'm like, I'm not seeing a connection here between advancing women in tech or building startups and these people. Like th- there's there's a disconnect, right? And so in, in my mind and then practically in, in practice, I had to stop pretending like his way of networking or his journey to finding the people that that helped him be successful was going to look the same as mine because it doesn't. And so for me, understanding what is the outcome? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? And what is the impact you want to have in the world? Because for me, I'll take meetings all the time that have no revenue at the end of them for me but they have all the ability for me to make a connection or refer somebody to someone and make that impact. And I feel like the universe is really good at rewarding focusing on the end goal with money. And I call it magic dollars. So actually my KPIs that I track in my company are impact conversations where somebody gets over a hump or gets what they need referrals is number two, whether that's people referring to me, me referring out, me introducing two people to each other who need to know each other, and then sharing my story in media, talking on podcasts. You know, when De- every time Denver 7 wants to do something about women in tech, they usually call me. I track those things and all the revenue that comes is a result of the impact that I make in those ways in the world. Wow. I got to, I got to interject here because that was gold. And I want to make sure that people (laughs) listening, go grab a piece of paper or your computer, your phone. So you can write this down. All right. Your KPIs. I didn't hear anything about dollars because dollars will flow from this, (laughs) which is brilliant. That's right. All right. So the first one was that you talk to someone and they get over a hump in a conversation. Let's say, say that in, first one again. Impact conversations. Impact conversations. Yep. Somebody's got an issue they're dealing with or they're trying to overcome something or the conversation we have impacts them in a way that moves them forward towards whatever their goal is or whatever their purpose is. What's interesting is that I get a lot of inquiries because I'm now rebranded myself around Zoom. Like prior to the pandemic, I was all about teaching people how to network in person, but clearly that's not necessary. Yeah. Um, So (laughs) so I've I've completely had to reinvent and I've managed to do that very well. So now I get inquiries that could probably be answered by Uncle Google, but um, I get these random, you know, random inquiries and I answer them. And yeah. I explain something and I, I make, might make a little video to explain it. So that would fall under an impact conversation, whether it was an email totally. or a phone call. Totally. Okay. Yes. That actually makes those more meaningful. So I yes, really like does. that. They're not yes, nuisances. They're meaningful. So that was the first yep. one. Second. Yep. 
The second one is referrals. So like I said, whether that's someone refers to me or I refer someone to someone else, or I introduce two people to each other who need to know each other or who, who have something that, Ooh, that sounds like a fit. You two need to talk. Yeah. Which I've already, I'm already making a note that I'm going to introduce you to Melissa. So like that kind of thing. Excellent. I love that. See, I love that. Right. So I love that because I feel like most people need to do more of that or more thoughtfully or create some systems or practices around it. And if you measure it, you're more likely to do more of it. And also the, the one that you control is referrals out or introductions, but that will probably lead to more referrals in. It totally does. And the other piece of that, that I'm really good at, that can be hard for some people in the beginning, not all business that get referred to me is actually right for me. And I'm not always right for the other, for the person being referred to me, but usually I know who is. And that one pays off in massive ways because when somebody comes to me and says, Hey, I really would love to talk to you about career advancement, you know, whatever. And I'm like, this might not be a fit, but I know exactly the coach that you need. That coach will send me 10 other people because we're not competing and that's the thing about referrals that reminds me this isn't this this is isn't a zero sum game this isn't a this is everybody can win and that's my referral program is all about everyone should win and i think that's possible and what was that third one the third one is sharing my story so talking in media being on podcasts having the opportunity for other women minorities people who feel like they're struggling to get ahead in some way to hear the story and know that it's possible because if they relate to me and they can hear themselves in anything that i say and it gives them just that little push to try something different or or get you know read a different book or or do something something that pushes them towards that goal, that is a win. It's a win every time. All right. Thank you for reiterating all of that. Cause you know, I want <laughs> to make sure everyone had a chance to write it all down because it's good stuff it and is. it's a different, different than what I've heard. And again, I've yeah. been doing this for a while. Um, yeah. That's, that's really interesting because um, I currently host a free weekly virtual happy hour called no more bad oh, zoom. And nice. I started it on March 13th. So I've been doing it for seven months and I have it planned through the end of the year. And every other week I have a guest come in and it's a ton of networking. And I stay after and do at least 45 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes of Q&A. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't charge for it. That's awesome. And it's where all of my leads, introductions, et cetera, have come from. It's exactly right. I don't right. think I would have been able to make the, the business shift like I did if I hadn't started with that first. That's right. So... That's right. You started with the impact. And that's the thing is the universe rewards when you are in your mission and in your purpose and you're in your own flow, it rewards that. And a lot of that reward is dollars because it's just how we measure. It's the way you, it's the scoring system in the game, right? So for me, the more I detach myself from all the emotional stuff wrapped around revenue and money and all of that kind of stuff and see it as just the scoreboard, I get more interested in the game. I check the scoreboard every now and then and it, you you know, usually looks pretty good. I'm interested in the game. That's where my impact lives. You know, it's also interesting is I've been pushing people to host their own things lately. Like I really think that the it's much easier to do now that we're in an online space and oh, you yeah. have to book, book a room. But for sure, hosting allows you to hit all three of these. Yes, because it does. I'm having impact conversations all the I'm time, helping people meet each other in the moment. Yep. yep. And I'm sharing a bit about me and my story each and every time I do it. So that's exactly right. That's so cool. And it's a reason people could then 
I don't I think people have a hard time prioritizing things that are quote unquote free time. You know. That's right. That's, That's right. Good. If it when the minute you stop looking at it as a, oh, I'm giving away my time for free, and you start looking at it as I have an impact and that's part of who I am. That see, this is where work-life balance comes in, right? Because if I have to wait until outside of work hours to make the impact I want to make to have social change be possible, to shift a conversation or make meaningful movement for myself or for for another human that's a lot harder than if it's just intertwined into all of what I do every day. <laughs> yeah. Integration. I love exactly. it. So we're, we're coming up at the end of this and I, I have a question I always ask. And it's one of my favorite questions, which is if we're reconnecting a year from now and I have a feeling that's not, we're not going to wait that whole year, but let's say it's a year from now. <laughs> and, uh, and I say, Oh my gosh, Cynthia, what have you been up to? I want to know what are we going to be celebrating for you? What yeah. are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Yeah. So I've got two really exciting projects that I'm working on right now. Um, one of which is I, I have historically done all of my coaching for women and gender minorities in tech on sort of a small group level, a cohort level. And it's fairly expensive because it is really in depth and we go really deep. And I'm building now a community with an e-learning platform and and some you know live mechanisms and things like that to be able to deliver that for a much lower price point so that I can help more women on a more consistent basis get to where they want to be. So that's going to be launching by the end of this year. And then we're doing something very, very similar for entrepreneurs um, and giving them access to not just, not just knowledge and resources, because the reality is knowledge is about 20%. The other 80% is what do you do with the knowledge you have. And uh, most of the things out there don't tell you how are, they don't give you feedback. How are you doing with the knowledge? And they don't tell you what to do with it and how do you know if you're winning? And so we're, we're in the process of building a startup around this and I'm super excited that's going to launch next summer. So oh, my gosh, yeah. I can't wait to celebrate all of that with you. I know It's, it's so going to be so much fun. And you're going to have <laughs> such a huge impact and so many more people. I know. The ripple I'm effects so excited. Go on and on. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait. So how can people find you and follow your work? Yeah. So uh, the best place to start is Rikatech.com, R-A-I-K-A-T-E-C-H.com. Uh, from there, you know, we're in the process of reworking that whole website, but from there you can say, I'm an entrepreneur and I, I need help with that. Or I'm a woman in tech or a gender minority and I need help with that. And you get access to our free Facebook community. Uh, that's a closed group. We're pretty protective of that. You can ask to join that guy. Um you know, and get access to all the different coaching programs. And then you can, you can sign up for the newsletter so that we'll, you'll get to know when all these new things launch and whenever we do new trainings and stuff like that. So, uh, it all starts there. <laughs> and that's R-A-I-K-A tech.com. Yep. Fantastic. I want to make sure everyone has that noted. We'll have all those links and also to your LinkedIn and to your Twitter. They'll all be at on the Thank you so much for joining us this conversation, Cynthia. Thank you so much, Ravi. This is so great. And I love your passion and I love what you're doing. And I, I've really enjoyed the couple episodes I've listened to. So you're now in my regular podcast queue. <laughs> Excellent. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Cynthia. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. 
Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 226. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as over 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. And are you ready to sign up for the 5% Advantage program? It's held only a few times a year. Participants of this four-week program are eligible to become certified virtual event professionals. Hashtag no more bad Zoom. A select few will also become Zoom producers who will join my expanding team to help me serve my clients as they strategically bring their events online. Great additional revenue stream with, for you if you want to earn $200 or more an hour. The next cohort of the 6 to 12 participants begins on January 28th. The fee is $2,250. But if you register by the early bird deadline, which is next Tuesday, January 14th, you'll only pay $1,500. That's a $750 savings. Email me and I'll share all the details. Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. That's Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. I'm happy to schedule a chat to see if this is right for your goals. If you enjoyed this episode with Cynthia, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. Look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.